You're listening to How to Win with Mike Moore, the podcast that provides you with practical insights on how to win in every arena of life. Hello, I'm Mike Moore, and welcome to another episode of the How to Win podcast. These podcasts are based off 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. It says, now thanks be unto God who always, I like that, always causes us to triumph. Now, I want you to tag a friend and let them know that we're alive today. Share the message, and at the conclusion of the lesson, I want you to push that share button and share it with somebody else. Uh, that's how the word grows, okay? And you go back and listen to the uh, podcast. I believe it's going to be a blessing to you. Now, you can also get the audio on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast and listen. Listen, I believe that this series is either uh, ministering to you in your present, certainly preparing you for the future, and we're talking about passing the storm test. Now, I got my iPad here so you can send your questions in. You can send your comments in. I love getting your questions, and I love getting your comments. We're talking about passing the storm of the storm test. This is our second lesson. This is a series. Our theme is God's willingness and ability to bring believers through the storms of life. In lesson one, Uh, In our last lesson, lesson one, we discovered that the word storm is a metaphor that describes a season or a period of intense adversity or intense struggle in our lives. We talked about the different kinds of storms in lesson one. We talked about the different reasons storms come. And then finally, we talked about what should we do when we're in a storm. Now, in this lesson today, I want to talk about doubt, D-O-U-B-T, doubt, the greatest challenge to you making it through the storm, doubt, the greatest challenge to you and I making it through the storm is doubt. My background text is taken from Matthew chapter 14, verses 24, verses 29 through 32 in the New King James Version. Let's peruse it. It says, but the boat was now in the middle of the sea. Jesus had fed the 5,000, had gone up into the mountain to pray, instructed his disciples to get into a boat, to go across the lake. And the Bible says, but the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Now, when the disciples saw Jesus walking on the sea, because the Bible says he walked on the sea to them, they were afraid and thought it was a ghost. And Jesus calmed their fears and said, it is I be not afraid. Then Peter did something very outlandish. He said, now, if it's really you, bid me or permit me to walk on the water. And Jesus said in verse 29, come. And and Peter had when Peter had come down out of the boat, the Bible says that he walked on the water. Now notice, he walked on the water 
in the storm. And that's what God wants us to do. He wants us to walk on the water in the storm. But when he saw the wind boisterous, now he's walking on the water to Jesus. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid and beginning to sink. Immediately, Jesus stretched out his hand, called him and said to you, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And that's what we talked about. We're talking about doubt. The greatest challenge to you and I making it through the storm. Now, as always, we like to define our terms. Let's let's evaluate this issue of doubt. And this is something that we will deal with as Christians the rest of our lives. Now, listen at this. The word doubt means to be uncertain about the truth about facts, or about the existence of something, to be uncertain about the truth, uncertain about facts, uncertain about the existence of something. The word doubt means to waver. It means to vacillate. And then thirdly, and this is the definition that I want you to make a mental note or write it down if you can take notes or put it in your phone, doubt is to have or entertain a second thought and act on that second thought. Now, that this definition is something we're going to be dealing with through the rest of the lesson. Doubt means to have or entertain a second thought and act on that second thought. Now, I want to to delineate something right quick, and, and, and hopefully we can discuss it together. But there's a difference between doubt in your head and doubt in your heart. And we're primarily talking about doubt in the heart. Now, Matthew, Mark chapter 11 Verse 23, here's here's the proof text for that statement I just made. Jesus said, whosoever shall say to this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he says shall come to pass, he shall have what he says. Now, now notice what Jesus says. He says, whosoever shall say to the mountain, mountain, be thou removed, mountain, be cast in the sea. And then Jesus says, and shall not doubt in his heart but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Now, I want you to notice that Jesus didn't say, shall not doubt in his head. He said, doubt in the heart. Now, you'll know when your doubts get in your heart, because once doubt get in your heart, eventually it's going to come out in your mouth and in your actions. And I'll I'll share this with you. There have been times that I've stood on the word and Satan was attacking me with doubt in my mind. 
and yet I was able to receive the promise because I didn't allow the doubt to get in my heart and you allow the doubt that's in your head to get in your heart by speaking it out of your mouth and acting out on that doubt that you're thinking. And I'll, I'll give you some more insight to that in a moment. The outcome of doubt is failure, is failure. The Bible says in James chapter one, verse six, seven and eight, it says, but let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. Let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. That's James chapter 1, verse 6 through 7 through 8, James 1, 6 through 8 in the New King James Version. So what is the basis of doubt? What is the material that Satan uses to establish doubt or attempt to establish doubt in our minds and in our hearts? Well, he uses sense knowledge or sense evidence that contradicts God's word. Sense evidence that contradicts God's word. Sense evidence has to do with what you see what you hear, and what you feel. See, hear, feel. Sense evidence, what you see, what you hear, what you feel. Now in verse 30 of Matthew chapter 14, verse 30, Jesus walking on the water, Peter walking on the water. It says in verse 30, when Peter saw the wind boisterous, now, how do you see the wind? Well, the wind is an invisible force, but it manifests itself through sounds. It manifests itself through our emotions. It manifests ourselves through what we see in terms of the impact it has. So the Bible says when he saw the wind boisterous, boisterous means strong. It was a strong wind. He could hear the sound of the wind. He could feel the wind on his skin. He, he could hear the roar of the wind. So the Bible says when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid and he began to sink. Now, here's what I believe happened, even though the scripture doesn't say it. Jesus said, come. So Peter got out of the boat. He's walking on the water on God's word, on Jesus' word, come. Then he was distracted when he saw the wind boisterous, the strong wind. He saw the waves flapping up and down, the, the wind blowing up against him, the waves blowing up against him, the choppy waters, the darkness. He, when he saw the wind boisterous, the Bible says he became afraid. Now, I believe that he was walking, and when he started looking at the wind and the effects of the wind, he stopped. I believe he stopped in his tracks. I believe that he stopped in his tracks. I also believe that he began to mutter to himself like, why in the world did I get out that boat? I'm going to drown. Why, why did I? What? I shouldn't have got out of that boat. 
That is stupid what I'm doing. And I believe that he stopped and started listening to himself. Now, let's talk about uh, a, a very important fact that I want you to I want you to remember. I want you to remember that doubt is a weapon of Satan. Satan is the author of doubt, a major weapon that Satan used, now listen, to steal what we have and to stop what we're doing. He gives, he sends doubt to steal what we have and to stop what we're doing. Now, Satan's goal and I'm, I'm going to give you some examples, but Satan's goal is a second thought. Now say that. Satan's goal is a second thought. Say it one more time. Satan's goal is a second thought. Now, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5 says, casting down imaginations, and every high thing. Now, these are thoughts, images, thoughts, mental pictures, thoughts. The Bible says, cast down imaginations and every high thing. The word high thing means proud things, things that exalt themselves against the knowledge of God. In other words, God says one thing and you have a thought that goes contrary to that thing. When you have a thought, that is out of alignment with what God has said, that is a high thing, that is a proud thing, that is a thought that Satan drops in your mind to get you to think on that and not what God said. Uh, the, in fact, the New Living Translation calls these thoughts rebellious thoughts. The Bible says bring into captivity all of our thinking into the obedience of Christ, into the obedience or in alignment with what God has said. So Satan uses a second thought in relations to our circumstances. He uses a second thought in relations to God's integrity and God's goodness and God's motives. And then he uses a second thought in relations to our identity. Now, let's look at these three areas. A second thought in relations to our circumstances. And we just talked about that. Jesus in Matthew 14 says to Peter, verse 9, come. Peter got out of the boat and began to walk. Now, when Jesus said come, this is the thought that Peter had. I can walk on the water. Why? Because he had received the word from God come. So he began to think in line with what God said. I can walk on the water. Now that's God's thought. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he received without realizing it a second thought. And the second thought was, you're going to drown, Peter. You have no business out here. Nobody can do this. You're going to sink. You're going to drown. Now, how do you know that Peter 
received a second thought. And how do you know, Mike, that the second thought was that he was going to drown? I know that was the second thought. I know the second thought was that he was going to drown because the Bible says he became afraid. Afraid of what? The Bible said he became afraid and beginning to sink. Afraid and beginning to sink. He was afraid of drowning. That was the second thought. Jesus said, come, you have the capacity, you have the permission, you can do it. And Satan got him caught up in the, the wind and the waves and the sound of of the storm, and he had a second thought. I'm not going to make it. I'm going to go bankrupt. I'm going to lose my house. I'm going to lose my job. I'm going to get fired. He had a second thought, okay? And the Bible says he began to sink. Satan also attacks us in the area of a second thought as it relates to God's integrity, God's goodness, and God's motives. We see this in Genesis chapter 1, verse 31. It says, then God saw everything that he made and was very good. Genesis 2, verse 16 and 17, God says of every tree that's in the garden, you may freely eat. Verse 17, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat of that tree. For the day you eat from that tree, you shall surely die. That's God's thoughts. God gave a thought. You can eat all this, but you cannot eat this. You can eat all this, but don't eat from this. Well, Satan gave Eve and later Adam a second thought. Now watch this. The Bible says, then the serpent, this is Genesis chapter 3, verses 4, uh, verse 4 through 6. It says, then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat, your eyes will be open and you will be like God and and knowing good and evil. And then the Bible says, so when the woman saw that the tree was good, she saw that the tree was good. Now, God said, don't eat from that tree. It's not a good tree. It's a bad tree. Don't eat from that tree. It's not a good tree. But when she saw that the tree was good, why? Because she took the second thought. She not only took the thought that the tree was a good tree, a tree to eat from, she also took the thought that God didn't mean what he said. You're not going to die. God says that you're going to die. You're not going to die. God says flee fornication. God says don't do this. But the devil said, no, it's not going to hurt you. God says, listen, you human, you have needs. So he's given us second thoughts. He wants us to have a second thought. And he said, God is trying to hold out from you. He just knows you're going to be just like him. So he's attacking Eve in the area of God's integrity, God's goodness, and God's motives. Now, listen at this. 
before we go to the third area, you know you're being processed. Sometimes Christians don't even realize that they're being processed by Satan. So let me give you some insight. You know you're being processed by Satan. In other words, you're under attack when you feel like you will lose out by obeying God. You will lose out by obeying God. People talk, say that all the time. You know, I can't tithe, man. If I, if I, if I can't, if I tithe, I won't be able to make it. Well, you're being processed. See, you're being processed that if I obey God, I'm going to lose out. You know you're being processed when you feel that God doesn't understand what you're going through and you're in a new situation. God don't understand. God doesn't understand. Now you're being processed. You're being processed. How do I know you're being processed? When you think God does not understand, you're being processed because the scripture says that we have not a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. That's in the book of Hebrews. It says that he's touched with the feelings of our infirmities. The Bible says that he suffered, and in that he suffered, he's able to help us. Now, the Bible says he took on flesh and, and blood. So he understands your situation. He fully understands it. But when you think that God doesn't understand, he doesn't know what you're going through. Your situation is unique. You're being processed. There has no temptation taken any man such as common to men. Everything you're going through is somebody else has gone through. And the Bible says God has made a way of escape. So you know you're being processed when you think God doesn't understand. You're being processed when you get angry with God. I can't tell you, early in my Christian life, I used to get flat out mad with God all the time. I just have a little old fit. I fall out and tell God I quit you. I'm not going to live for you anymore. I went through all that. I was being processed, but I didn't know I was. You're being processed when you begin to question or wonder whether God really meant what he said. Now, you know you heard him. You know you heard him, but now you're in that position. John the Baptist was in that position. God revealed to John that Jesus, his cousin, was the Messiah. John said, I saw, I saw the Spirit of God came, came on him like a dove. John said, I saw it. I know he's the Messiah. God revealed to him, he's the Messiah, to me, he's the Messiah. He's the one, follow him. And then in prison over in Luke chapter 7, John sent his disciples and asked Jesus, are you the one or should we look for another? So now notice you're being processed. John the Baptist was in prison. He was being processed by Satan, but he didn't know it. When you began to question or wonder whether God really meant what he said or whether or not you heard him accurately, Maybe I didn't hear him accurately. Maybe I didn't hear him at all. You are being processed. Now, the, sec the third area 
that the, the second, the third area that Satan will try to give us a, a second thought, the third area is in the area of our identity, our self-esteem. Now listen at this. In Matthew 3, 16, this is what God said about Jesus. He came up out of the water after being baptized and a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son and whom I am well pleased. Now, that's what God said about Jesus. Jesus heard it. Now, in, in Matthew, the fourth chapter, uh, beginning at verses one down through verse 11, Satan tried to process Jesus and he said, now, if you're the son of God, command these stones to become bread. Or we could put it another way. If you're the son of God, why are you so hungry? Why would you be hungry if you're the son of God? Why would you be hungry? Well, now notice that's a second thought. You couldn't be the son of God because you wouldn't be hungry. That's a second thought. Now, listen at this. You know you're being processed by Satan in the area of your identity, your self-esteem, when you struggle with inferiority and low self-esteem. You know you're being processed. If you, as a Christian, struggle with inferiority, and low self-esteem, you're being processed by Satan. Now, how do you know that? God would never say anything to you. You can't find it in the scripture where God attacks our self-esteem. Nowhere in the Bible does it say you're inferior. Nowhere in the Bible does it say you have low self-esteem. You said that. You agree with the thought. In, in fact, if you struggle with rejection, and I was struggle with rejection for years because I was receiving a second thought. Nobody loves you. Nobody wants you. Your parents didn't want you. Uh, your wife doesn't love you. Your wife doesn't want you. I was struggling with these second thoughts. None of that was true. None of it was true. But I was being processed. And many Christians walk around with rejection. Nobody loves me. Nobody wants me. Nobody will accept me. They're all against me. Those thoughts are not coming from God. God is not telling you nobody loves you, nobody wants you, nobody accepts you. That's totally out of line with what God says. God says you accepted in the beloved in Ephesians chapter 1. Now, you know you're struggling. You know you're dealing and being processed with the second thought when you believe God can't use you. There are so many Christians, they believe God can use you, Pastor Mike. God can use so-and-so, and God can use this person, but God can't use me. If you have that feeling that God cannot use you, you're being processed. You're entertaining a second thought. You know you're being processed when you feel unworthy and you don't deserve to be blessed. I don't deserve it. I don't deserve to be blessed. I don't deserve this house. I don't deserve this job. I don't deserve. You're being processed. And the problem with that is we always act in harmony with what we think. We act in harmony with what 
we think. Now, it, all through school, I was just an excellent student. I just, you know, I, my parents, my mother always talked about how smart I was. So in elementary school, I made all A's. In middle school, I made A's. High school, I went to two different high schools. I was an honor student. Just made, I didn't even like B's. I mean, I was just a, a great student. I went to uh, uh, Tuskegee. My freshman year, I went to Marion Military Institute. My uh, second year, graduated from that military school, and I went to Berea College for a couple of years, graduated, and everywhere I went, I was strong academically. I excelled academically. I was always an honor student all the days of my life. But somewhere in high school, I got this thought that physics was hard. I don't know where I got it from, never sat in a class, never talked to an instructor, but somewhere I got this thought that physics was too hard and I never took the subject. Probably would have made an A on it, but I never took the subject because I had the thought that I couldn't do it. I couldn't handle it. It was too hard. Now, this issue of second thoughts come in so many forms. Now, our beef, I will have walked with the Lord, born again, saved 44 years, 44 years in October, October the 4th, 44 years, and I still have to deal with second thoughts. And if you're honest, you have to deal with some second thoughts too. And they just, they come in all kinds of forms. Second thoughts about your health. God says you heal, but Satan gives you some second thoughts. Second thoughts about your financial well-being. Second thoughts about your family. Second thoughts about your relationship in your family. Second thoughts about the longevity of your life. Satan will give you a second thought and tell you you're not going to live a long time. You're going to die before this age. Everybody in your family has died before this age. You're going to die young. You're going to. Satan will drop all kinds of thoughts. He'll drop thoughts of suicide. You listen, you might as well go ahead and leave. Nobody cares about you. Nobody's going to miss you. He gives you all these thoughts, thoughts about age. Oh, he'll hit you with thoughts. You're old. You're not going to do this. You're not going to do that. You're never going to get married. You're never going to have this. You're never going to be a success. Look at your age. Look at your age. Look at your age. He's constantly giving us thoughts about our worthiness, thoughts about our achievement. He'll give you a thought and tell you you're a failure. You look around and say, I'm a failure. You, you start muttering it. I, I'm a failure. See, it's getting in your heart because you don't start speaking it. He gave you thoughts about your purpose. You don't have a purpose. Listen, it's over. You might as well quit. He give you thoughts about the revelation that God gave you. That wasn't God. You sure that was God? That maybe that was you. He give you thoughts about your acceptance. Nobody wants you. Nobody loves you. Nobody accepts you. He give you thoughts about your communication. You can't stand up and talk. Nobody want to listen to you. Nobody will listen to you. You can't even talk. You never can talk. You shy. You this. You that. Satan is constantly throwing second thoughts. You know, it's unfortunate. Most of us don't listen to what we're thinking. 
we don't listen to what we're thinking. And Satan knows that. He, he knows we don't listen to what we're thinking. The average Christian does not listen to what they are thinking. And they got all these second thoughts that Satan has given them. Second thoughts, totally inconsistent with the scripture. Has nothing to do with the scripture. Nowhere you can't find the thoughts, nowhere in the scripture. And yet Christians entertain these second thoughts. Thoughts. Now, what thoughts are you entertaining? What second thoughts are you entertaining? What second thoughts of doubt are you entertaining? Now, if we don't manage our thoughts, if we don't manage, and even the thoughts that get in our minds, you can be successful or a period of time, but you can't just leave that thought rolling around in your mind and you're not casting it down, you're not putting it out of your mind. I mean, you walk around muttering to yourself that you're a failure, you're never gonna make it, you're never gonna have anything. You see, that those thoughts in your mind will eventually get down in your heart and you start speaking to yourself. You're not even saying it out loud. You don't even know you're saying it. You know, you ain't gonna never be anybody. You know, you know, mama said I wasn't gonna ever be anybody. And you know, you, listen, you 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 old now and all this. You just hear all kinds of thoughts. The Bible says that we're to cast down the imaginations and every proud high thought that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. God's not going to do that. Now, here's the problem and the danger of mismanaged doubt. If we don't doubt, deal with it, we end up in disillusionment. We end up disillusioned. Disillusionment. In other words, disillusionment is, ca is caused often by a lack of manifestation over a period of time. You don't see any manifestation and you keep looking at no manifestation, no manifestation, no manifestation, no manifestation. If you're not careful, no manifestation becomes your focus. No manifestation. And you start talking, I'm not getting any manifestation. I'm not getting any manifestation. Now you're reinforcing it now because now your focus is on it and you're talking it, you believe it, you're acting on it. So you can't turn the ship around because you're focused on it. Sometimes it's the pressure that we're feeling from different areas. You know, we're feeling pressure and really most pressure is going to be temporary, but we, we reinforce it because we start talking about, I got this coming at me, this coming at me, everything is coming at me. It's all coming at me at the song. Now we're, we're actually solidifying it in our lives because now all these things, not only do we believe it, we don't start releasing it with our mouth. If it's not one thing, it's another thing. So now the things, the pressure lasts longer than it would have lasted because we've solidified it through our confession and what we've been talking about. And then there's disappointment. Sometimes we just disappointment. 
we have an unrealized expectation. We start focusing on it. And then the next thing we know, we're in disillusionment. Now, disillusionment manifests itself. Now, listen at this. It manifests itself in unbelief. We'll come back and look at it briefly at each one. Unbelief, indifference, antagonism, and quitting. And I want you to value yourself. Are you in disillusionment? It manifests itself in unbelief. You no longer believe what you strong, formerly strongly believe. You no longer believe what you formerly strongly believe. Are there some things and concepts and principles that you really were sold out to, but now you're no longer really sold out to it. That may, You may be in disillusionment. Disillusionment manifests itself in indifference. You have little interest in what you formerly had great interest in. Think about, you used to spend a lot of time in the Word. I mean, you spent a lot of time meditating on the Word, and now you very rarely do. I think you're in disillusionment. It manifests itself in antagonism. You now attack what you formerly supported. I hear people talk against faith and against giving and against this and against the church and against this. And now they're, they're, at, they're in antagonism. At one time, they supported it, but now they are attacking it. That's disillusionment. Quitting, you just give up. Maybe some of you, you just flat out, you've given up on everything. You've given up on your health. You've given up on your financial well-being. You've given up on your relationships. You've given up on church. You've given up on the word. You've given up. You just give up. That's usually when people get to that point, it's because of disillusionment. Now, as I close, and you can send any questions or comments that you have, but as I close... I'm going to give you some keys to beating satanic doubt. Some keys to beating satanic doubt. All of us is going to deal with it. How do I beat the doubt? Number one, take the time to get the mind of God. Take the time. Whatever it is, whether it's health, whether it's your finances, whether it's purpose, whether it's relationships, take the time to get the mind of God. You may have heard me say this. My wife and I have been married for 43 and a half years, and we were talking about it just the other day. I am so thankful and happy to be married. My wife is my very best, very, very best friend. But there was a time early in our marriage when it was not a blessing. It was a, we were trouble. We weren't fighting each other. Weren't, we're not cursing each other. You know, we weren't running around and doing a lot of things like that. But it was just we were just not on the same page and it was not a happy relationship. And I remember 
praying and in the word. And the Lord spoke to me and said that my wife was a fruitful vine by the signs of my house and my children like olive plants, olive branches. And I, I, I said that and I mentioned that to her, that she was a fruitful vine. You see, when you're in a struggle, whatever area it's in, Satan wants to give you a second thought about that situation. And he wants you to meditate on that. He wants you to think about that. And he wants you to talk about that because he wants you to take the material from the second thought and create the fear to reinforce that thing in your life and to establish that in your life. So you have to take the time, if it's your purpose or whatever it is, a relationship, whatever, you got to take the time and get the mind of God. Now, nobody can push me off divine prosperity. Nobody can push me off that. They can write all the books that they want about God. That's false doctrine and all, all they want because I have in the past and even this year, the most of the year, I'm spending time in the Word on financial prosperity. You Once you take the time to get God's mind on a matter, it is hard for Satan to solidify doubt and get that doubt in your heart. It's hard because once you get the mind of God, you can, you can resist that thing. So you got to take the time to get the mind of God. Number two, I got five things. Number two, ongoing meditation ongoing meditation. Once you get the mind of God, you got to meditate on it. You got to meditate on it. And it's got to be ongoing. And that's why I keep a journal. I've encouraged people over the years, get a journal. Whatever God says to you, write it down, date it, put the time and all that. Because the farther you get away from what he said, the, the further it gets, the, it gets a little gray. So I got a journal that goes all the way back to the 80s. And from time to time, I'll just look at my journal. I go back over the things that God said. I see the date. I see it. It's ongoing meditation. My journal next to my Bible is the greatest book that I have, the greatest thing I possess, because I'm going back to it and I'm looking at what God said. God said this. God said that. And I kind of keep that in front of me. You can't keep all that in your head. You need to have a journal. Number three, focus. You got to focus. You, you got to keep yourself focused. You got to focus. Now, I want to say something that I believe is, is, is true. I believe one of the greatest distractions, and I'm going to balance it, one of the greatest distractions facing Christians today is social media. One of the greatest distractions. Now, I'm on social media right now. I'm on social media. This is social media. How the Win Podcast is on social media. So I'm not saying that social media is not a blessing. I'm just saying that if you don't discipline yourself, you'll spend 
hour after hour after hour after hour just looking through what somebody said, what somebody's wearing, what somebody's doing, this event, and you'll spend all your time looking, 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 and, and because I'm on it now, it is so very easy because there's some very interesting stuff on social media. It's some very, and, and, and it's a lot of positive stuff, but it's just a lot of stuff. I mean, you can just be flipping through that thing, you know, I mean, you know, and I'm a sports person. I can be flipping and see what happened and who scored this and who playing this and what they're saying about this person and what Alabama is doing and how the everything. You can spend hours on that thing <laughs> on your phone. I mean, just on your computer and phone. You can just spend hours on it and look up and you have spent so little time in the word. And I believe it's distracting a lot of Christians. So I'm not saying don't do social media. I'm not saying put your phone down. No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying look at how much time you're you're spending just going through Facebook and all that and Instagram and all that and compare that to how much time you're spending in the word. If you're spending a very little time in the Word and a bunch of time on social media, then it has become a distraction. Number uh, four, you have to keep speaking the Word out loud. The way you keep doubt uh, from getting down in your heart is, see, Satan can plant some doubts in your mind. I mean, he can just plant doubts in your mind. The way you keep the doubt from getting down in your heart is by speaking the word. Now, notice what Jesus said in, in Mark eleven twenty three. He says, Who shall, whosoever shall say to this mountain, be thou removed mountain, be thou cast into the sea mountain, but shall not doubt in his heart. Now, he's going to tell you how to not doubt in heart, but believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass. In other words, you cannot continue to talk the word and doubt remains in your mind. You can't, you can't do it. You can't do it because eventually your mind is going to start listening to what you're saying. You know, because if it stays in your mind, then it will eventually get out of your heart and then you start muttering it, even though you're saying it to yourself, and then you start acting out on it. Now it's down in your heart. But the Bible gives us the key. He said, but shall believe that those things which you're saying out of your mouth, you should be making confessions on a regular basis, making confessions on a regular basis, and then to keep the doubt from staying in your head and getting down in your heart. Now, number five is endurance. The fifth key to beating doubt is endurance. And, and you know, sometimes, and I'm no different than you, it's easy to just get tired. You say, well, you know, I'm tired. 
I'm tired, Mike. I'm tired of confessing. I'm tired of reading. I'm tired of believing. I'm tired. I'm just tired. I don't, I don't want to do that. I want to just chill. I want to just relax. I want to just put some music in my ear, and I want to just sit down and chill. I don't want to confess. I don't want to give. I don't want to go to church. I don't want to do any of that. I am tired. I am tired. Now, listen to what you're saying. I am tired. So I want to close. I want to close this lesson. And I see we got some got some questions coming in and uh, got uh, comments. So if you got any questions or comments, I see a comment and I see about four, about four comments. I see a question. If you have any questions, if you're tired, I'm tired of waiting. I'm tired of believing. I'm tired of confessing. I am tired. Don't want to do it. Don't feel like doing it. Okay, now listen. At Isaiah chapter 40, and I'll close with this, and then I'll look at your questions and your comments. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 28. I want you to write this down. Put it in your phone. Isaiah 40, chapter 40, verse 28 through 31, and I'm going to read it in the Amplified Bible, in the Amplified Bible. For all of you that are fatigued, all of you that are overwhelmed, all of you that, I'm just tired. Okay, now listen what it says. Verse 28, have you not known, have you not heard the everlasting God, the Lord the creator of the ends of the earth does not faint or grow weary. There is no searching of his understanding. So now listen at verse 28, and I'm going to read the rest of it. It says, God, the creator of the earth and the creator of you, it says, does not faint or grow weary. Okay, you're tired. That's a reality in your life. You don't want to do anything. You're tired of this. I'm tired of this. I want to do none of this anymore. Okay. The Bible says God doesn't grow weary and he does not faint. He doesn't get tired. So now here's what verse 28 is telling you and I. You're tired, but God is not. Okay. You're tired, but God is not. Just because you're tired, doesn't mean God is tired, okay? Now, let's look at verse 29. He gives power to the faint and weary. And to him who has no might, he increases strength, causing it to multiply and make it to bound. Okay, you're tired. And I'll be honest with you, I've been tired too. Don't want to serve. Don't want to go to church. Don't want to talk to nobody. Don't want to do none of that, okay? The Bible doesn't say that God is angry at you. He's not mad at you. He's not even reprimanding you. The scripture says that when we're tired, verse 28, he's not. 
The verse 29 says, he gives power to the faint. If you're fainting, you're about to give out, he gives power to the faint and weary. You're weary. He gives power to him who has no might. You have no might. I just don't have anything in me to go any further. He increases strength to those who have no might. He will increase your strength. He will do it. Increase your strength. You don't have the might. He will increase your strength and he will cause your strength to multiply and make it to abound. So he'll give you plenty of strength. Now watch this. Verse 30. It says, even the youth shall faint and be weary and selected young men shall be feeble, fe- shall feebly stumble and, and fall exhausted. So it said, even young people who are full of zeal say they get weary sometimes. They get tired. So God is identifying. He says, now, there's nothing wrong with you. You're tired. You're weary. You don't want to do anything. Any more Bible study, you don't want to you don't want to do any of that. You don't want to make no confessions, you know, you want to just sit and do nothing, okay? He says, verse 31, but those who wait for the Lord, who expect, look for, and hope in him shall change and renew their strength and power. They shall lift up their wings and mount up close to God as eagles. Mount to the sun, and they shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint or become tired. So the Bible says if we'll wait on the Lord, and the the word wait means to look to him, look to him, acknowledge that you're tired, but look to him, and he will exchange your strength. Now, this was under the old covenant. We can claim it, but the Bible says in Romans 8, 11, the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, he lives in us. He will quicken our mortal flesh. He will create energy. He will create life on the inside of you. Now, notice the Holy Spirit is on the inside of you. Tell him you're tired. Tell him you don't want to go any further. Tell him you just don't want to do anything else, but you're willing that he help you. Quicken me, Holy Spirit. Give me the energy. Invigorate me, Holy Spirit. Give manifest your strength on the inside of me. And the Bible says over in Philippians 2, verse 13, he will work within you, work in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. He'll create the will. He'll create the desire if you give him permission, and he'll give you the ability to do what you need to do. So I've learned to look on the inside of me because it's going to take endurance That's number five. It's going to take endurance to walk in the fullness of what God has. It's not going to be overnight. It's not going to be somebody just laying hands on you and all your problems go away. And, and you know, you give one offering and then your life is turned around and all your bills is paid off. No, it's going to be endurance, consistency over the long haul, over the long haul. Um, I I was doing some preparation uh, about a series that I'm doing on Sundays called The God of Abundance. 
And, uh, you know, Abraham got a promise and it was 25 years later that the promise manifests. That's a long, that's a long time. But God will give you what it takes to endure. I trust that this has been a blessing to you. We're not through. I got more to say to you about this area, you know, that we're dealing with. And it's a good, it's a very good series, Passing the Storm Test. Now, I got some statements. I got a few questions. So let's look at some of your questions. Uh, a comment, need need this. Good. I'm glad to hear that you need it. Comment. Thank you for reminding us to trust God and never doubt through the, this powerful lesson. Great. I'm glad that was a blessing uh, to you. Here's a question. What do you do if you have someone in your house that is always negative toward you, like mom? You can't leave due to finances at this time. Well, you know, that's a really good question. Let's say your mom is negative. You can't leave. You're in the house. You know, I, I don't I don't think you gotta be sitting up listening to your mom all the time. I think you should listen to what she has to say concerning instructions, things that she wants or whatever. I think you just have to outpace her. If she's throwing out a whole lot of negativity, you're going to have to carve out time where you're hearing what God says. And I just believe that if you're meditating on what God says, what somebody else is saying will just roll off your back. I think that it bothers us a lot because we're more focused on what they're saying and less on what God is saying. I don't think you have to leave the house. I think a person can be extremely negative. I don't think that has to stop you. I really don't think somebody else's negativity is going to stop me. I think you carve out time where you're spending with God and you're making your confessions. You're confessing what God's saying. You're meditating on the word. You're thinking about what God is saying to you. You got your journal and you're spending quality time. You can be a negative over here all you want to. That's not going to stop you because you can focus on the word even in a situation like that. You don't have to be out in a perfect setting where everybody's saying the right things for you to succeed in life. You can succeed right there. You know, a lot of people, they need everything quiet in order to function. Man, I, I can sit up, the television can be going, the radio can be going, folk will be talking, and I can sit right there and I can focus on that. And I learned that in college because everything wasn't always quiet. I learned to focus right in a setting of noise, and you can do that. You can do it. Spend more time with God. Years ago, God told me, you need to spend more time in the Word. He said that to me. You need to spend more time in the Word. And if you're hearing your mother's voice, then I think that you're spending more time hearing her and less time hearing God because God's voice is louder than your mama's. Uh, comment, thanks, Pastor Mike, for this teaching. Comment, thank you, Pastor, for the Word of God. Comment, we got to stay focused on God's Word. There's power in the words of God. Thank you, Pastor Mike. Here's another question. Uh, Pastor Mike, 
Is your journal only for what God says to you or does it include your personal thoughts also? Well, my, my journal is what God says to me. I mean, there is nothing wrong with journaling your personal thoughts. I mean, that can be therapeutic for some people. And so I hear people say, well, I journal my thoughts and, and, and it's therapeutic. That's great. If journaling your thoughts is therapeutic, go for it. And it's helpful to some people. You ask me about me and my personal journal is what God says to me because that's what I'm going to build my faith on. That's what I'm going to take me through the storm. Uh, so, you know, I used to, but I stopped. I used to journal everything that happened during the day. You know, I got portions in my journal where things that happen, and I remember certain dates about certain people in the church and family and situations because I would journal whatever happened during that day. This is Tuesday. Whatever happened, I would journal. I don't do that now, uh, but I used to. So it just depends. on. There's no right or wrong way, but I try to keep my focus on what God has said to me, because that's what's going to take me. That's what's taking me through all the challenges I face is what God said to me. Um, question, do you have different journals for different areas of your life? I think I kind of I kind of illustrated that. At one time, I used to journal everything that I did during the day, all the events. If I do my podcast on Tuesday, I meet with my personal assistant, I would write all that down. I don't do that anymore. It may be helpful for you. Uh, it may be therapeutic to write your thoughts. My journal primarily is about what God says to me. If God speaks to me, I write it down, put the date, put the time as close as I possibly can, and then I meditate on those words on a regular basis. Uh, statement, will you please write a book about this? Well, I'm glad that you think it is worth writing a book on. I think the day will come where I'm going to do a lot of books on different things, and maybe, just maybe, this may end up being a mini book one day. Thank you for the suggestion. Well, um, you know, that's it for the, today. I just so appreciate your comments and so appreciate your questions. Now, push that share button, share it with somebody else, and I believe it's going to be a blessing. Uh, and I'll see you next time.